Hey, can we thank our worship team? What a great job. And I think on a weekly basis, we are made aware of their talents, but something about the musical talent today between Chris on the guitar and Dan on the piano, man, so good. Welcome to Christmas. We're in the season. I see this red going on. I did not get the memo. I am sorry. I love it. You are very festive and uh, you look great. And I know we are just a week away. So for some of us, there's just excitement about that. Others of us who might have some gift getting to still do, very nervous about that. Um, It's okay. We're really glad you're here. And what you're doing by being here today is actually getting your focal point, getting your perspective dialed in to what Christmas is all about. Not about the mall, not about lights, not about trees. As wonderful as those things are, it's all about Jesus. We're so glad you're here and just involved with our service today. Great stuff so far. We are going to continue in our series today called Perspectives as we're kind of getting into the shoes, taking on the lenses of people who, have, who were there at, at Christ's birth. And so if you have a Bible today, you can open it to Matthew chapter 1. You have notes in your worship folder if you want to get those out and have those ready to go. I wanted to give you an update on Hilke. He's here. So just in case you're wondering how he's doing. Um, I know he and Jody and their family, our pastoral staff, really appreciate your concerns and prayers for him this last week. A week ago, he had the detached retina, had surgery, and it looks like it was really successful. So we're grateful for that. Keep praying for them and the healing process. We're glad he's not face down in this position like he was for seven days straight. So it's good to, um, good to see you vertical and not face down. So I told him when I talked on the phone this last week before he went to his doctor's appointment, it says very rarely that I know the exact position of the person I'm talking to on the phone on the other side. But when I call you, I know exactly what's going on with you. So a little weird, but um, we're glad you're back, bro. Here's what we want to do today. We, I want to introduce you. There's another person on stage. Or was it, this is my son, Jackson. Would you welcome him? Hey. So Jackson's going to team teach with me today. It's something we've been able to do uh, a couple times before. And so we're going we're gonna to give it a shot today. But we're excited. He's home from college. Jackson, tell these guys a little bit. Kind of take us way back. No, not really. But just tell us, kind of where'd you grow up? What was kind of home life for you back in the day? I was... I, was, I didn't even say anything funny, and they're already laughing, so that's good. I know, they're ready. They're ready. I was born on May 18th, 1997. You're thinking so way back. You, you wanted way back, so yeah, there you too go. Too far. Oh, sorry. Um, okay, so I grew up in Victorville um, for most of my life, uh, and... Um, did you have more to your question, or did you yeah. just want to know no, where I grew starting up? starting out, that's good. Okay, that's where I grew tell, up. Tell these guys a little bit about, uh, you grew up, obviously, in a pastor's home and the things that come with that. Yes. Tell us a little bit about kind of your just um, ministry experiences kind of up till this point and how that's kind of worked out for you. Yeah, so um, first, like, real ministry thing that I was excited about was I knew I wanted to be a pastor at, like, seven, and I remember telling you that, and then ever since then, it's just kind of like, I want to do that. Um, and then more like tangible and practical things. Uh, my senior year of high school, um, I took over as the junior high guy for HDC for nine months-ish um, and, uh, and did that my senior year of high school. And then since then, I've had uh, an opportunity to work at Forest Home for two summers. Um, and just now, right before I went on break up at school, 
uh, I accepted a position uh, as kind of the interim lead pastor of a church up in Placerville um, for the next semester. So, oh, yeah. Cool. So, yeah, Jackson was telling me this semester, they have a great office at William Jessup where Jackson's a student at that's connected to local churches. A guy named Jim is that liaison. And his, one of his jobs is just helping local churches get a, 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 like a pulpit supply, a teaching pastor, when they're between pastors or, or whatnot. And so Jackson had been asked a couple times this last semester to go and preach at this church uh, in Placerville. And they basically said, why wouldn't you just come back every week? So he's going to start in January and finish the semester through April over there with them. So it's good stuff. Good. Last service at this point, I said, now you can go sit down. That wasn't well received. People out here thought I was a jerk. Um, but go ahead and sit down. So... Let's, uh, let's dive in. So what we've been doing in this month of December, we have been looking through the lenses of different people. Just to rewind, week one in our series was kind of getting into the shoes, getting into the perspective of Mary. What was it like to receive this amazing news of what was going to happen to her and, and how to process that and what to do next and, and how to even think of what in the world could this be? Last week, it was great in our children's musical, you saw the perspective through the lens of shepherds. And shepherds who were trying to figure out what do we do with this great news. And today, we're moving in the same direction and we're going to get into the shoes of Joseph. We're going to see what maybe he saw a little bit. And, and backing it all up, this is kind of what we're talking about. Christmas absolutely matters. Not because of how festive it is, not because of how much we, need, we love to celebrate It is up until that point of Jesus' arrival into our world, we had no hope. All we had was religion. All we had was this system, even of all the religions of the world, the Jewish system that God himself had orchestrated continued to remind people day after day, week after week, this is just a Band-Aid. This never fully covers your sin. This never really makes you completely right with your creator. Something is missing. That something was Messiah. God in human flesh entering into our world. Nothing so great had ever happened until God himself was born in a barn. It's amazing to think of. And the only things that would eclipse it in our human history was that same God-man dying on a tree and risen from the dead on the third day. That is the gospel message. God among us, Emmanuel, and I loved it even in the line that we sang, that, that last song we sang before Allison came up today, if you remember, was a song right from the musical that our kids were singing a week ago. And there's that great line in there, the baby born for sacrifice. That was Jesus's mission. That's why he came, was to make a way for you and I to be right with our heavenly father. And so within that whole sequence of things, we have this Christmas story. And for many of us, the Christmas story is very, very familiar. I grew up in Christian schools and we would memorize Luke 2 and say it every year at a Christmas pageant that we would put on. And you might have had some sort of similar upbringing or similar familiarity with this great story. But the reality is, is that the characters of Christmas somehow become caricatures to us. 
When we see them in art form, they're drawn with halos. I can't relate. No one's ever put a halo over me or even thought to, okay? They were, they were these people, as we see them today, they're iconic on the front of Christmas cards. We see them in people's lawns as decorative features, and there's nothing wrong with any of that. The problem is it's hard to relate to them. I don't get it. I don't understand. I can't begin to understand what it was like to walk in their shoes. And that's the point of this perspective series, is being able to say, God, we want to move into that moment, and here's why. Because we actually are walking through similar things of what they walked through 2,000 years ago, halfway around the globe. As we do that today, we're going to look through this lens of, of, of people who What was it like? Who were these people that were there at Jesus' arrival? Who were the people that had angelic visitors? Who were the people that were very, very pregnant but had to navigate a difficult terrain to give birth in Bethlehem? Who were the people who held the fragile fingers of God? And so today we take on that perspective of what was it like for Joseph, the apparent father of Jesus to walk that road. Matthew chapter one is where you're at in your Bible. We're gonna begin today in verse 18. This is how it goes. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was, watch this, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And by the way, don't just read over that. An angelic, spiritually powerful messenger showed up to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and watch this, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she had given birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Let's unpack the story a little bit and just get into his shoes, get into his context. The first thing that you might have noticed is you notice the words pledged, and and maybe the translation of the Bible you have today said the word engaged, but then later you see the word divorce. He planned to divorce her quietly. That's hard for us to reconcile. Engagement and divorce are two different things that, um, that you, wouldn't, you wouldn't usually put together. So what are we talking about? In the first century in Palestine, to be pledged, to be engaged to one another was even a stronger bond and commitment than it is to, for us today, 2,000 years later. Engagements sometimes break off. They don't always end at the altar. And so for them in the first century, this was going to be huge. It was to the level of commitment when vows had been made and promises had been made to both even the two individuals and their families, this was a huge deal and was on the level of divorce. 
And Joseph, from what he knew, you remember the information we just read, it didn't say that Mary came and told him she was pregnant. It says, and it was found. That's interesting. How, how do you think that Joseph found out? I don't know if you've ever thought about that. To me, it would seem it'd be the rumor mill. It would seem like, hmm, Mary's looking a little different. That's not normal. What is going on? And word would have traveled to the point that it gets back to Joseph. It wasn't a one-on-one conversation necessarily, but it was found. Mary was found to be with child. And now Joseph trying to do a right thing, trying to be wise and trying at the same time to not publicly disgrace his would-have-been wife is figuring out what to do, and it's on the level, it's that big of a commitment on the level of divorce, and he would have, by understanding Jewish law, been been very right and appropriate to have that option available to him. But then we read these powerful words, and then an angel appeared to him in a dream. We said a couple of weeks ago that really outside of the times, the very, very few times when God would appear to a human being, the only other person, the only other being that ever, when they appear to a human has to initially, every time start with, don't be afraid. Because in your mind, when you view an angel as that kind of wimpy looking, white gowned, heart playing, effeminate being, no one's afraid of that. And that's why I know biblically speaking, that caricature must be wrong. If that being shows up to me, I just kind of go, do you want to (laughs) sing? What do you want to do? Want to find a couch and sit down and talk? Because you just, you don't seem to be that powerful, massive being that would make me cower in fear. But angels, biblically, when they appeared to people, would cause fright. And this isn't a dream that an angel appears to Joseph. And three things I want you to see from that brief interaction. Number one in your notes, the very first thing the angel does is remind Joseph of who he is. He reminds Joseph of who he is. That phrase that's there, Joseph, son of David. Now, you and I read this 2,000 years ago, and we lose a lot in that gap. Because as Joseph was hearing these words, his father was not named David. But his great, 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 and a whole bunch of more greats in between, grandfather was a man named King David, who'd reigned a thousand years previous on Israel's throne, second king of Israel. And it was through him, not Saul, through him that God would say, on your throne will reign my Messiah who will reign forever. We just sang it. That promise was made to King David, and now, now in this time, An angel comes to Joseph and says, Joseph, son of David. I'm sure Joseph had to stop and process, who are you even talking to? You got the wrong Joseph. It's not my dad's name. Oh, 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 that David. And and you know the irony of that whole thing. It must have taken, besides him being afraid of the vision of what he was having, there must have been even a chuckle to him because think of first century Israel. They hadn't had a king on the throne for 600 plus years. And in the moment when this vision comes to Joseph, they're under heavy Roman oppression. King of Israel, that's a joke. We haven't had one and I don't see us ever having one again. The angel comes and says, let me remind you of who you are. You come from a very specific royal line. 
And not just of some sort of series of human kings, you come from a line from which God has said, my king of kings will come and he will reign forever. Joseph, son of David. The second thing that the angel does in the sequence of their conversation is he not only reminds him of who he is, but then he goes on to say, you need to have courage. You need to have courage for what's about to happen. In telling him not to be afraid, I'm sure part of that was even, don't be afraid at what you're seeing right now. Don't be afraid of this angelic visitor. But secondly, don't be afraid of what God is asking you to do. Don't be afraid of the next steps that God has waiting in front of you. And he's very clear to say what those are. Don't be afraid to take Mary into your home as your wife. It wasn't vague, it wasn't nebulous. Don't be afraid. Here is your next step, do it. The interesting thing about this whole sequence, I don't know how much you and I have ever thought about it. What were the implications of Joseph taking a pregnant, betrothed woman into his home? We already know that there was probably a degree of the rumor mill that was at work. And for Joseph to take Mary into his home would mean one of two things, either one, an admission of guilt, It's my child, I'm going to do the right thing, bring her into my home. Or it left everybody confused because why on earth would you take an unfaithful, engaged fiance into your home for your wife? Who on earth is that stupid? There's no way Joseph wins through the reputation channels that we're going to be about. As I process and I think through his life, I think through the decisions, think of it this way. Joseph was a blue-collar worker. He was a carpenter. He made things out of wood for other people. And in that process, no matter who you are, think back. And we realize, by the way, biblically speaking, if Mary, we said a couple weeks ago, was a teenager, maybe 16, Joseph wouldn't have been much older, maybe between 18 and 20. So we'll just call him 19 as a median age. A 19-year-old, think back to when you were 19. Some of us, three lifetimes ago, right? Can't even go back that far. Others of us, like, uh, that'll be two years from now. We're all over the map. That's great. But think of it this way. Think of the time when in your young life, you had a plan. This is how my life's going to go. You may or not have checked in with God about the plan, But in your own heart of hearts, in your own mind, in your own scheming, not bad, you had a plan. This is how my life is supposed to go moving forward. And you laid it out. I would definitely have thought that Joseph, as a 19-year-old young man about to be married, about to engage a very significant new role as a husband, had a life plan. His life plan at that point was maybe to get out from underneath an apprenticeship he would have been working under, to find a good girl and settle down, to start a family together and move forward, grow old together. That might have been a good life plan for a first century carpenter. What God is saying, in essence, is take your life plan and let me blow it up. Because this wasn't going to work with the life plan. This wasn't going to be some gradual, just kind of fit into what Joseph was already thinking. This was going to blow everything up. It was going to blow up his reputation. 
It was going to blow up the way that others would think about him and work with him, even in his trade. He was going to be very different in his relationship with Mary, a girl he thought he knew. It was going to be very different because he was going to be a relatively instant dad. Joseph's life plan demolished, and God says, I have a new plan for you you never even thought of. In your very next step, I'm not going to lay out the whole thing. But the very next step is taking Mary home as your wife. And then a key piece to this whole thing, it's your third point today. The angel gave him more revelation, gave him more information that he didn't previously have. The angel's able to say one very important thing. Hey, Joseph, this child that Mary is with, as pregnant with, is not from another man. You know it's not from you. It's actually from God. Now, I got to tell you, I know that within the plan of God, there must have been something very strategic to have that come from an angel and not Mary. Um, By the way, Joseph, I'm pregnant, and it's from God. You had to think in that moment, he'd be going, man, how long did you sit there and think about what to say? That is so creative. You're crazy. But instead, an angel says, there's more to the story than you can see with your own two eyes, Joseph. And in that, with that information, I want you to trust me that this is something so epic, something so off the charts, something you never even dreamed could happen. It's happening and you're involved in the story. I didn't want to just team teach with Jackson today because I thought it would be fun. I wanted to because I wanted you to hear the perspective, interestingly as, an, as it is, of a 19-year-old. What do you think, Jackson? You're um, engaged to someone and, and uh, you have this amazing new information that, oh, by the way, she's pregnant with God's child. Yeah, I'll let you go from there. Yeah, um... I mean, off the top, I'm probably thinking about there's $70 in my bank account. Um, I got to figure that out. I got to drop out of school. I got to um, find a job. Starbucks, maybe. Um, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking, uh, my mind's going crazy when I think about a question like that of, of what if God comes and blows up my life plan? I, I go crazy with the practicality of, of like, how can, I, how can I fix this? How can I make this work well? Um, but, but I think if we're going to answer that question together this morning, you and I have to slip into Joseph's sandals. That's why I love this, um, where, where we get to really gain the perspective of what's going on. And, and so if we, if we are in Joseph's sandals and we get that dream, we get that revelation from the angel, and, and we go through the, the way that my dad just broke that up and see what that looks like for us, I think that would be what would be most impactful for us this morning. Uh, and, and the first thing that the angel did is, is told Joseph uh, whose he is. Um, he, he shows up and he says, okay, you're the son of a king. And, and that might not mean that you're a king. But I want to give you the purpose of, of, of bringing along the king of all kings. Right? So, so he comes and he gives him purpose in and, and, and reminding him whose he is. And in the same way, I, I want you to think back to the time that you've spent in Ephesians lately. I, I think that has such great opportunity for us to unpack our identity, 
right? And Ephesians starts by reminding you and I exactly whose we used to be. We used to be dead. We used to be sins. We used to be owned by, by our sins and our transgressions, and we could do nothing to beat them because we were absolutely dead to them. And then Jesus walks into the auction house with his father, and they see you, and they point you out, and they say, I want that one. They they look at him, and they say, the dead one? Yeah, I want the worthless dead one. And the price was all too high, but the father gives his son's life for this worthless dead slave that is you. And frees you, now making who you are somebody who is free. Somebody who is a son, a daughter of the utmost king, of the king on high, of God. And, and, and the reason I think why this angel picks on whose you are in the first place is because whose you are has so much to do with who you are. And who you are plays every part in what you do. You follow that out? Whose you are determines who you are, which changes what you do. I'll put this in, in terms of, of my own life first. Um, my girlfriend's back there in the back. Her name is Sky. Um, if, if whose I am is Sky's, then that means who I am is her boyfriend, which means what I do is I am exclusive to her and I love her. If whose we were was sin, that meant who we are was death. That meant what we did was sin. But Jesus comes along and he says, whose you are now is God's, which means who you are is a son and a daughter of the one true king, which means that what you do is righteousness. What you live is purposeful. We don't mess around with things that lack purpose anymore because we have been given a kingly purpose. You factor out, see, see whose we are changes so much for us. And so if we're going to step into those shoes and gain the courage that Joseph gained we, and, and, and have that kind of faith of a 19-year-old, we first need to step in and realize whose we are changes everything. Whose we are means that we live differently, means that we are a different people. And if we are a different people, we get to have immense courage. The, the next blank that I have is, is finding courage in the truth that Christ has made us enough. You see, God doesn't show up to, to, to give courage for you to keep doing what you're doing. God does not show up to Joseph and say, I love what you're doing, man. I just want to encourage you and keep doing what you're doing. You don't need courage to keep doing what you're doing. You're just doing it. That's fine. That's comfortable. That's easy. God comes to blow up your life with purpose. So, so when God showed up to Joseph, he blows up his life and says, I have a bigger purpose for you. That, that people 2,000 years later would be talking about you. I have a huge purpose for you that you cannot even imagine or wrap your mind around. And in the same way, God shows up to each and every one of our lives to blow up our lives with a very unique and specific purpose to each and every one of us. A purpose, though, that could be more broadly expanded to say that that our purpose in general as a community and as a people of Christ followers, our purpose looks like getting other followers. We we leave these doors and we go get people and we drag them to church. Our our purpose should lead us to be so stoked for, for Christmas Eve and Christmas services to come because that is a great opportunity to drag people to church. Seriously. That is our purpose. 
At, at our core, that is what we wake up for because that is the purpose and the ministry that has been given to us is that we would wake up with purpose of I'm, I'm going to go get people. They've got to know what I know. They've got to know the great love that I've experienced. They've got to know this purpose that I've been given, and so we go get them. And this purpose is so powerful, but because it's so powerful, it is the exact thing that the devil exists to destroy. And here's how he does it. We have, we have this weird unspoken rules of church that when I come to church, I want everybody to smell good. When I come to church, I better be wearing my best because everybody else will be. When I come to church, I sure hope I don't end up crying because I don't want anybody to see that I'm broken. When I come to church, I've got to have it all together. When I come to church, people need to see that I have it all together. God needs to see that I have it together. And, and we get so focused on these things in our lives that, that, that are disqualifying us. We see the wake of broken relationships behind us. We see marital problems in front of us. We're, we're nervous parents or, or we just have way too many financial issues. And because of all of these things in our head, they keep disqualifying us from moving forward and engaging our purpose. And so what do we do? We become obsessed with 10 steps to this, with five steps to success. We become self-help gurus. So obsessed with, if I could just make myself better, then I would be worthy of the purpose that has been given to me. If I could just muster up enough goodness within me, then I could actually engage my purpose. And so we become so obsessed looking at ourselves, fixing ourselves, getting into the, to the right order that we want to be in, only to lift up our heads and see that the enemy has done exactly what he wanted and we have lost our purpose because we stopped looking at the broken, hurting, anguished world around us and became fixated on ourselves. The encouragement that you need is that Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross has made you enough. That no matter where you go or what you do or who you are, you are loved. And that is the core of who you are. You are accepted. You are brought in. You are cared for. And nothing can take that away. And look at what Joseph does. It's so crazy. You've got you've to just slip yourself into his sandals for a second and realize that this was God's plan. This was not God like, oh, I fumbled. Man, my bad. Like, now this looks really bad. No, this was God's will that this would absolutely look like a scandal. And Joseph steps into it, and, and you've got to know he's got all these fears. You've got to think about his family's going to disown him. Things are awkward in his hometown. Things are already awkward, and the shame is building for Mary, and how, now he's going to step in, and he's going to shield her shame and put it all upon himself when he did not deserve this. He has every right to walk away. But instead, he leaves his fears, he leaves his worries, he leaves the reputation that he wants behind and engages purpose. What he didn't know in that moment is what he was leaving behind he was not just leaving behind, but he was leaving in the mighty hands of God. And so when he engages a purpose and leaves all of his fears, all of the things that he thought would disqualify him behind, God takes care of the rest. So if you are sitting there and, and you are just looking ahead and all you can see is this gigantic mountain of what disqualifies you, 
And all you can think about is, yeah, Jackson, I would engage my purpose if I had these things right. But when I engage my purpose, I just know people are going to find this stuff out about me. And it's going to ruin the way that they view me and they think of me. And they're not going to like me the same way that they used to. And I'm worried. Joseph was too. But when he let those things go, and he let them, and he left them to be, God worked them out, and he engaged a mighty purpose. So your encouragement this morning is that if you leave those things in the hands of God, they will work themselves out. It is your job to engage purpose. People are your purpose. And the last thing that Joseph gets is he gets information that he didn't have. Uh, and, and your blank, it's, it's seeking confirmation of God's calling. And, and I, I chose the word seeking very purposefully. So many times you and I are waiting for a lightning bolt to strike. And, and like, oh, God, that's where you want me to go. And so it, we, we wait. We sit and we wait. We know we've got to go somewhere. We know we've got to do something. But instead, we just kind of lay back on the couch, and we're just waiting for, like, God, would you just show me? Would you just speak to me? And, and, and those things don't happen that often anymore. But, but what we miss so often is, is this great book. It is so our Western mindset that you and I have turned this book into a competition. Can I read more chapters than you every morning? Can I wake up earlier than you? Oh, you wake up at 5? I'll wake up at 4.30 to read this. I'll get my 16 chapters in before you get your 15. We turn it into this competition of not only can I read more, but I can actually obtain more knowledge in my head than you can about this. So now I know more facts about God. But what we don't realize is that when we get this Western mentality on reading our Bibles, what has now happened is we might know everything about God, but you don't know him from Jack. You've missed him. You don't, you, don't, you don't have a relationship with him because you've turned him into a competition. These words are alive. These are not a collection of fairy tales or short stories for your enjoyment. These, this is living, breathing God in a book. This is his will for your life. This is powerful. It cuts bone from marrow. When you open this book, your approach should be, where can I meet my Savior in this book? Where can I wake up in the morning and just meet Jesus for the day in this book? Not, not how can I get more knowledge, how can I get more understanding. Not, not how can I obtain more and, and beat the other people. But, but how can I meet Jesus today? The other way that, that you can get understanding that you didn't have before is to engage community. We show up to church and we want everything to fit in the perfectly square boxes that we've set out. God's will in this particular story that we've been dissecting was messy. It was gray. It was a scandal. It was gross. It was tabloid front page news. Our God is the God of gray. So stop trying to show up to church like you have it all together. My challenge to you, if you want knowledge that you didn't first have, is to truly engage community in showing up to church on the weekends and saying, I'm broken, and that's okay, because I'm broken too, and they let me have a microphone. We're broken. You don't got to hide it. It's okay. And if we 
truly come together as a community and say, we are a community of broken people and we are just trying to seek after our Savior whom we love and are so indebted to. You could not believe the wild purpose that we could engage. The wild things that God could do through us as a group of people who are broken and seeking after him. And we are handicapping ourselves by trying to look put together because we're just focused on that and we're missing purpose. So if you want to have faith like a 19-year-old, don't worry about the reputation. God's going to work that out. Leave that behind for a bigger purpose. That's my encouragement for you this morning. Wisdom would say I shouldn't come back up. So let's, let's do this. So let's rein it in. As we've looked at, we kind of remember this series, we're kind of looking through the lens of what? What does the Bible say? So what? What, what does that begin to actually translate now into my life, the application? And then the now what is what are you going to do? You see, Jackson and I would have had no idea of what you're facing today. We'd have no idea of the life plan demolition that God is bringing into your life. We don't know, but God does. And God brought you here. And so as you are staring at this mountain, this ominous thing in front of you going, God, this is going to disrupt everything. God, this is going to be messy. This is not what I would have chosen. And all of a sudden, I have to deal. And I stand at this crossroads, going, what in the world am I going to do? I want to encourage you from the things that we've looked at today from Joseph's experience. I want to encourage you that it is so worth it. I love Max Lucado, and I love reading him because he's just so relatable, it seems, and he sees things that I read right over. I was reading this week in um, one of his early books on this whole idea, God Came Near. And he, he references Joseph, and he, he gives the, the call to us through a similar lens. He said, Joseph had the opportunity when this angel comes to him, and he had a choice. It was pretty compelling on the one hand, but he had a choice. And he could have chosen to be a branch sitter meaning that there is a, a, a situation that requires courage and, and just trusting God for something you don't want to have to trust him for. And you can sit on the branch really close to the trunk when God says, go out on the limb. And I know that through our human grid, the safe answer to what you're facing is sit on the branch as close to the trunk as you can. But when God is in it, and he's directing you out on the limb, watch this, there's no safer place to be. We have to get out of our minds this idea that the prime objective in life is comfort. The prime objective of life is safety. Safety as we term it. When God says the very safest place to be is in the middle of my will. Trust me, trust me. I don't know what you're walking through. So I'm very nebulous here at the end of this message. 
to know what life plan demolishing thing God has in front of you today. But I do say this, as he reminds you of whose you are, as he tells you to have courage, don't be afraid. And as he gives you more and more information, more revelation about what you need to do, just take the next step. Remember we saw this with Mary? God didn't lay the whole thing out. He just told her, this is happening to you. Trust me. Shepherds, they saw this amazing revelation. I love the way the musical captured it. This amazing, all this great music and the angels going crazy. And at the end they thought, maybe we didn't see what we thought we saw. You know, maybe it was group hallucination all at once. Uh, I just had like, you know, bad indigestion. I, I don't know if we should do anything about this. But they were compelled, compelled to action. And today, Joseph, Joseph doesn't have all the steps laid out. He sees what it's going to cost him, at least from the very beginning, at least some idea of that. But he still takes a step forward. So today, let's have the faith of a 19-year-old. Let's take God at his word, no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're looking at, no matter how scary it is. And let's say, God, I trust you. I'm not gonna be afraid if you're with me. And I'm gonna see what comes. Today, we celebrate Joseph's faith. What will the future look like and what will people celebrate that you actually took God at his word? You can't know but I'm so excited to know that God does. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you today just so grateful, so thankful for all that you are, all that you've done for us up till now. And God, I know today among us, I have sisters and brothers that are here. God, that I don't walk in their shoes. I don't know what they're facing, but they're facing some big Deal, some big ticket item issues in their lives. Some of those that look as though they will blow up their life plans. My prayer is that you would give them, that you would give all of us the faith of this 19-year-old young man. The faith of someone who would say, I know this is not what I planned. I know this is going to be disruptive in my life. But God, more than anything else, I trust you. God, give us that kind of faith that's more than what we see in storybooks. It's the faith we actually get called to live out. If you're here today and you haven't yet put your faith in Jesus, you haven't actually taken that climb out on the limb, can I tell you it all begins there. That's step one. That matters before anything else. And even as we talk today about your identity, about whose you are Let me remind you today that what Jackson said from Ephesians was true, that you might have come in today spiritually dead. You might have come in today enslaved to your flesh and to sin, but the great news is that Jesus came into our world, a baby born for sacrifice, and he made a way for you to be right. If you're here today and you want to respond in faith to that invitation, It begins with simply admitting, admitting that you're a sinner who's lived life on your terms, not on God's, admitting that there is a problem in the relationship because of a holy God and a sinful you. Believe, 
believe that this Jesus we've been talking about today, believe that he did grow up to live a sinless life. Believe that he did die a sacrificial death on the cross. Believe that he did raise supernaturally on the third day. Believe he's the only savior available. And then choose. Choose to walk in his footsteps. Choose to walk his path as his follower. That's the gospel. And I encourage you today that if you make that decision, you can do it right here, right now. Tell someone. Tell someone you came with. Tell someone who you know cares and is praying for you. Tell someone today, I made the decision to follow Jesus. And I'm telling you, not only will that be powerful for you to have those words come out of your mouth, but the encouragement you'll get in return will be so confirming that you made the right decision. Father, we love you. Thank you for your amazing, extravagant love over us. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.